Welcome to False Flag Weekly News, the weekly news show that peels back the headlines and shows you the horrible things that lie beneath. And the word lie is operative there. I'm Kevin Barrett and bringing on guest host Barry Kisson, an old friend and radio interviewee uh, from way back. Uh, So, hey, welcome, Barry. Well, thank you, Kevin. Glad to be with you. Glad to see you again. Yeah, you're, you're, you know, you have a lot of uh, expertise in the anthrax component of the 9-11 anthrax false flag, which is ever more relevant seeing what we're living through right now. So, um, we have a, a great show coming up, but, but first, let's see. What's our, our first slide today? Uh, hmm. okay. Our first, we go through the obligatory disclaimers. Question everything or else. Uh, okay. What's the next disclaimer? Um, be very disturbed uh, at all the terrible things going on in the world. If you're not disturbed by what you see on this show, you need to seek psychological help immediately. <laughs> What's our next disclaimer? Ah, the medical health disclaimer. Medical and or mental health issues. No, we're not psychiatrists, nor are we physicians. So uh, don't do what we tell you. Do what your doctor tells you, unless your doctor tells you to do stupid things, in which case uh, I better not continue or I'll be booted off of YouTube. So, all right, we finished the disclaimers. Oh, very sad news this week. John Shuck passed away Thursday night. John is our co-host here at False Flag Weekly News, and he was back in media big time this year doing a radio show at Revolution Radio, Presbyterian minister, and just all around really, really good guy. And it's always sad to lose the good guys, and it's the saddest to lose the best guys, and John was the best. So uh, I'm going to miss him horribly. And we just, uh, I just replayed a, a rather transcribed an interview I did with him a while back about his battles with censorship in his church and on KBO or radio in Portland. So, um, uh, John Shuck, I, I, I hope you're in paradise and, uh, inshallah, I hope to join you there someday. Uh-huh. Oh man. So, uh, okay. Next, uh, next stop. Uh, well, you know, sometimes the bad people outlive the good people. David Rockefeller and Henry Kissinger lived to be close to centenarians. I think Henry might even be still alive, if you call that living. Mm-hmm. And uh, another female of the same species of monster, uh, Hillary, or Hillary as some call her, has outlived her victim, Muammar Gaddafi. Uh, it was the 10th anniversary of his uh, brutal murder this week. And I'm sure Hillary was cackling as usual. Uh, so that's uh, <laughs> that's the thing. You know, you, you, sometimes the good die young, Barry. And uh, I guess uh, God's ways are somewhat inscrutable in these matters, aren't they? Well, let's see. I agree that sometimes the good die young. Uh, and as far as God's methods, I'm not sure I, I think too much about God's methods. Uh, you know, it's, it's, so you're not, you're not a, a Methodist then. <laughs> right. No, you know, I'm not a theologian. Um, and so, you know, I read, read carefully your interview with Mr. Shock. It was a very good interview, but, but the two of you are, are absorbed with, you know, theology. And I'm not. Uh, that's not the nature of my spirituality as I see it. Okay. Well, uh, that's a that's a fair reaction. And I'm sure some of our readers are uh, closer to being on your page than on mine. And, okay, well, I think we have more public service announcements here. Wow, we, we have so many announcements as always. Uh, next big announcement is coming up on Halloween night. Uh, speaking of, of, of Hillary monsters and, and horror masks and such, uh, we're going to do a global live stream on false flag terror with Richard Gage, Lauren Guyano, Feroz Mithi Barwala, hosted by Bonnie Faulkner. I'll participate. I'll be there myself. So that should be a fantastic event. And there we go. Announcements. Let's move on 
to our stories this week. Now, this is the taboo section. So, Barry, I don't know if we went over the ground rules here, but given the insane censorship these days, uh, especially on YouTube, and given that I have thousands and thousands of videos that I would kind of hate to see erased by YouTube, uh, the way we do this is that currently we're not broadcasting on YouTube, so we're allowed to question uh, the received medical wisdom about things like COVID and vaccines. So we're going to do that through story number six. And then once we get to the Gaddafi uh, anniversary story, uh, we're free to say any darn thing we want, except uh, anything that could be construed as medical misinformation by the maniacs at YouTube. So let's go with the medical misinformation here. Uh, although I, frank- I frankly think what we're going to say is pretty sensible. Um, first story from uh, RFK Jr.'s Children's Health Defense 81 research studies confirm natural immunity is up there with or better than vaccine immunity. Barry, why is it illegal to notice this on YouTube? You know, Kevin, the article you should have here is a Washington Post article of September 15, where, rather surprisingly, um, they they print uh, an opinion column whose title is uh, natural immunity is powerful. Why are the government agencies so afraid to admit it? Mm-hmm. I mean, yep. I mean, really just cut to the quick. The, the, the fourth or fifth sentence cites the Israeli study wherein 700,000 people were followed. And the conclusion was that natural immunity was 27 times more potent than, uh, immunity conferred by vaccine. 27 times more potent. That's the fourth sentence in this article from the Washington Post. So let YouTube, you know, bite on that for a while. Um, you, you yeah, yeah, there's the people saying that the vaccines are so much better than natural immunity who are actually spreading the misinformation. Absolutely. I mean, how many, how many articles have we seen about misinformation? I mean, it's constant, right? That themselves are clear purveyors of misinformation. I, yeah, well, that's, that's, uh, you know, the, the best way to have a seal of authenticity, uh, for your work these days is apparently to get it fact checked. <laughs> the fact checkers, uh, to say the opposite of what you say, that means whatever you said was probably true. Uh, well, yeah, uh, yeah. a good example, like we just came across it in the local newspaper is they're referring to ivermectin as a veterinary medicine. You know, I mean, that's just, that's ridiculous. I mean, that's just plain ridiculous. Iver, ivermectin, as you know, has been one of the World Health Organization's essential medicines for like three decades. Uh, it's been used by a billion people safely and effectively. Yeah, for safer than aspirin. So, um, yeah. but there it is right there on an Associated Press article, you know, talking about uh, referring to ivermectin as a veterinary medicine. I mean, it's, it's pure misinformation. And the, and the subject of the article is misinformation. So. And, and if they want us to believe them, they really need to do a, a better job of maintaining at least a pose of neutrality and fairness and objectivity. Well, you know, Kevin, ironically, the September, the September 15 Washington Post article, which I urge your listeners to look up, uh, that's the theme of it. The very last sentence is basically says agencies, how can you expect us to trust you if you're not, you know, if you're not changing your position based on this, you know, huge collection of studies? Um, I mean, 27 times more potent. Now, now, now look, this is not just about agencies misleading us. This natural immunity thing is very profound and very critical to understand. Um, it is the key, actually, 
to uh, living with COVID. It's absolutely the key to living with COVID. I, I subscribe to this fellow Vandenbosch. You know Vandenbosch? Yeah, right. I, I yeah. agree. Yeah. And he makes this simple statement. You know, he says that immunity conferred by vaccine um, has no chance whatsoever of establishing herd immunity. The only thing that can establish herd immunity is natural immunity, either innate or result of prior infection. And, and it's very clear as to why. And, and so then the question uh, becomes, well, why are they, the authorities maintaining this absolute resistance to admitting the efficacy of natural immunity, uh, letting people get antibody tests or T-cell tests to show that you are more immune uh, than the people who are vaccinated and you can go to the theaters and the restaurants and things like that. Well, there's obviously a psychological warfare aspect to all of this. And, and maybe there's the sunk cost fallacy, which is why people keep throwing good money after bad once they've spent a lot of time, effort, and money on something. They don't want to just give up on it. And that's how apparently the investors in vaccines feel. In any case, it's it's a scandal. Speaking of scandals around COVID barriers, well, we're not allowed to talk about it. Before you get off of that, because I, I really want to simplify the answer to the question of why they um, why they're pretending as if natural immunity is not more potent. The simple answer, and it's absolutely critical for our understanding what's going on in the world today. The simple answer is they're selling vaccines. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Okay. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah. I mean, the, the government and the media are acting as marketing agents for big pharma. We're there. We, we've arrived. We've yeah. actually, right, we've arrived. I mean, well, I'm actually I, glad I, I gave you the time to say that, Barry. Uh, we are going to have to move super fast, though, because okay, we, we've got these 30 stories in, in a, an hour. That's two minutes per story on average. So the uh-huh. next COVID scandal is the race to get, uh, the kids vaccinated. Now, this is, this is up there with the refusal to admit national immunity as a completely insane public policy. The VAERS system reports more than 21,000 adverse events, including 24 deaths among vaccinated 12 to 17-year-olds, uh, 111 reports of deaths in young adults in their late teens and 20s, and COVID has a 99.9973% survival rate for those 19 and under, and it's probably even higher than that, pretty much 100% for people without serious comorbidities. So Did you just say VAERS reports 21,000 uh, cases of adverse reaction? Yeah. That's, no, no, that's, that's way off. It's, 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 no, no, no. This, this is just 12 to 17 year olds. Oh, sorry. Just 12 to 17. Sorry about that. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so, 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 yeah. so, so let me say this. The, the, again, I mean, it's perfect that this, we segued into this. The answer to the question why, you know, is they're selling vaccines. They're selling vaccines. And now we're going to do it to five and 11 year olds. They're talking about 28 million more doses. Of course, the reduced doses. Um, Fauci was on television the other day. I happened to clue into it, right? They're already distributing them. The, the FDA and the CDC haven't even, haven't even approved it, this yet. But that, that's how, that's how in the bag this is. They're already being distributed. They're already going to the hospitals and the pediatricians and the pharmacies. They're already going out. When they asked Fauci, well, why are you sending them out? You don't even have approval yet. He said, well, if we wait for approval, there'll be a lapse of time. That was his answer. And, and of course, Barry, what makes this so utterly and completely insane is the fact that, A, as we just went over the statistics that show, uh, little kids are totally not seriously threatened by COVID. Uh, their health is, is fine without these vaccines. No, no, it has fine. no benefit whatsoever. Uh, no. And, and, and some unknown number of uh, serious side effects and harms will result from this. Uh, so that's totally unethical already. 
But then the ostensible reason for this is supposedly to, quote unquote, promote herd immunity. However, as we'll see in the next slide about the moats, baileys and vaccines uh, from Eugippius, it, it turns out that that whole public health benefit argument is nonsense because we have strong statistical evidence now showing that but whether you do it country by country or county by county in the U.S., uh, the higher vaccinated populations are not doing any better overall than the almost totally unvaccinated populations. So there's no herd immunity benefit overall. There does seem to be, according to some, a lot of studies, including the official ones from the, the companies that put these vaccines out, the individual who gets vaccinated does enjoy perhaps uh, six months worth of pretty strong protection against really bad COVID. Uh, however, that's just at the individual level. At the herd level, it doesn't seem to work. It looks like there's just as much or more bad stuff from COVID in the populations that get massively vaccinated, as the Israeli studies that you mentioned earlier show, and many, many, many others. So there's no herd immunity benefit. So why the heck are we vaccinating children? This yeah. is beyond insane. It, well, it's, it's criminal. I mean, it is criminal. Uh, I mean, the, the, the one point that I'm, I didn't focus on is this. I mean, yes, the, the, the part of this underlying rationale, uh, you said it, it promotes herd immunity. But more specifically, it's this notion that the 5 to 11-year-olds though they don't suffer from COVID, they're basically asymptomatic across the board, but somewhere or another they're communicating it to adults who are vulnerable, right? Um, there's no basis for that. Uh, Fauci himself has been heard to say a number of times that asymptomatic infection does not drive pandemics. Uh, and, and there's a lot of evidence that it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, it's not contagious at all. So, so that rationale is, is bogus. You know, I'm not so sure about that, Barry, because I, I've, I know that early on there were some studies, like one big Chinese study that claimed there wasn't any asymptomatic transmission. However, it seems that later studies have contradicted that. And indeed, one of the problems with the mass vaccination campaign may be that the people who get vaccinated who are enjoying that six months of strong protection may actually end up with just as high viral loads as unvaccinated people who contact COVID. So these vaccinated people are contacting COVID, getting high viral loads, presumably shedding and contagious, and they're not experiencing symptoms or not severe symptoms. And they say, hey, I'm vaccinated, I can do anything. And they're running around spreading the heck out of it, which is the reason that there's totally no herd immunity, that vaccinated populations are doing actually slightly worse than unvaccinated ones. I mean, in fact, the Massachusetts study that was based on the Provincetown outbreak precisely found that the viral load in vaccinated was equal to the viral load in unvaccinated. Yeah. Right there in that study. Yeah. And same at Wisconsin too. So, uh, so I, my sense would be that the newer studies that seem to show that there is some asymptomatic transmission, uh, are probably correct. And probably a lot of that, if not the majority of these days is happening from vaccinated people. So, you know, that, so this article, anyway, this article, uh, by Eugippius about the moats and the baileys. Uh, what are moats and baileys? Well, this is a <laughs> in medieval castles. The moat is the, really easy to defend, but kind of not that great uh, sort of area inside the, the moat, right? Moldy, and, moldy. Yeah. And, and then moldy. The, ba the Bailey is the good territory outside that that is hard to defend, but it's it's really good territory. So the, if, you're a, uh, if you're making a fallacious argument, what you do is you switch back and forth between them. 
So some, somebody says, uh, hey, uh, her, vaccines are great. Her, they promote herd immunity. We'll solve the whole COVID problem. They have these great public health benefits. And there's long-lasting personal protection. It's a total success story. And that's just not true. That's not defensible. So then they retreat to the moat and they say, well, so these studies have shown that the vaccinated people have lower rates of hospitalization and death at least for six months, uh, <laughs> and the whole argument uh, becomes uh, totally uh, unfair and irrational. And, they, you know, they're, they're cheating. It's a logical fallacy, but the whole media is doing it. Yeah, I mean, and let's not forget, th- these boosters that they're now going to push on everybody, it's the same shot as they've been giving from the beginning, which is to say it's not designed to deal with the D variant at all and, and probably is quite inadequate whatsoever to deal with the D variant. You know, you, you cite these studies that indicate that there's some protection from hospitalization and death. I, I, one study I, one, I just have to mention, I, I actually printed it out. Um, you know, one thing that's different in Mer- England than the United States is that it's got a public health service. So, so that actually has some data that's being accumulated and analyzed. And I, and I, I copied out as page 20 of this public, this public uh, health England uh, do, uh, document page 20, and right there it said, of the 25, of the 2,500 deaths from D-variant identified, 1,600 were to fully vaccinated. That's right there in, right there in the public health um, document. Right, and, and that same British public health uh, uh, information is now showing that uh, people, there, there are more cases, actually. You're more likely to become a COVID case if you're vaccinated than if you're not in most age groups. The exceptions are only the very young. But for uh, everybody above, like, 20 or something like that, uh, you actually are more likely to be a COVID case if you're vaccinated. So that that, that seems to suggest that whatever protection these vaccines are offering, is uh, it wanes quickly, and it, it's it, it's certainly not against actually catching and spreading COVID, it's more against the very severe consequences, but who knows how long that even lasts. Well, let me, let me cite one other thing that just came out. Maybe you didn't notice it. Uh, Vermont evidently, um, has some statistics and, uh, a little, little publication called, I think the Vermont Chronicle pressed the health officer of Vermont because he said he didn't know. Well, okay. Of these deaths you're reporting, how many are fully vaccinated? Oh, well, I, I'll look that up. This was the result, uh, Kevin. I'm happy to send you a link. In September, they found that of the 33 deaths from COVID in Vermont, 25 were fully vaccinated. Wow. Well, so, so, so much for this uh, 99.99999% protection or whatever. Uh, well, you yeah. absolutely will not die if you get the shot. Yeah, 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 right. Um, for months. I want my money back. Yeah. If, on the basis if I, of nothing. On the basis of absolutely nothing. I mean, right. another very important Washington Post article. Let me just throw it in. A very important article. Happy to send you the link is where they acknowledge, again, surprisingly, that we don't have data in the United States. It's all decentralized. They have a number of experts testifying in this Washington Post article about if if anything, the data that we're getting is contradictory. And in fact, it says right in the article, all we can do is look to other countries to figure out what's going on. Right. And just so, so, so you looked at England and Israel, England, where they England, have good Israel, data. Iceland, I mean, all these yeah. places. Yeah. And, and that data is not nearly as pro-vax as what uh, they're telling us in the media. So I think we agree on all these issues, Barry. Let's move on to the 9-11 wars. As I said, we, we have so many stories to get through in so little time. So the 9-11 wars story number one was the 10th anniversary of Gaddafi's murder. And I replayed my interview with Helen Brown about how Hillary's emails reveal the real reason they took out Gaddafi, uh, one of them 
was from uh, Sidney Blumenthal. In fact, of the 3,000 emails that were released from Hillary's private server that got hacked, uh, more than a 1,000 were from Sidney Blumenthal. And in one of them, he pointed out that Gaddafi's government holds 143 tons of gold and a similar amount of silver. And this was accumulated uh, and intended to be used to establish a pan-African currency based on the Libyan gold dinar. And that threatens the hegemony of Euro-American banking systems. So guess what? Put a hit out on this guy and brutally murder him um, and then tell us it was all about human rights. Right. I mean, Saddam Hussein also, right? I mean, one of his crimes was he, he decided to drop the dollar and start selling um, selling oil for euros. Yeah. You know, yeah. The petrodollar is kind of the big thing in geopolitics. And it's interesting when you actually get this admitted in these these emails. Uh, so, uh, Gaddafi, I don't, you know, I don't know if he was totally a good guy. I mean, John Shuck was the best of the best guys and Gaddafi had some downsides, but for, you know, for a military officer who sees power in a coup d'etat, I don't think he was so bad. Well, I mean, the article, I guess, that you're citing here, there was another one I think that you cited. I mean, basically contrasts where Libya was at before we deposed him mm-hmm. and where it's at now. And it's, yeah. it's pathetic. I mean, Libya was the richest country in Africa. It, it had a, a national health care system that we couldn't dream of establishing. I mean, it goes on and on. Um, what was going on there under Gaddafi? Um, so yes, Gaddafi, sure. I mean, of course he had faults, absolute serious faults. And I'm not, I'm not aware of all of them, I'm sure. But as far as health of the society and welfare of its citizens, I mean, yeah, and, and that's what gets foreign leaders into trouble is when they prioritize the good, the good well-being of their subjects, then uh, the bankster elite and their military hitmen come after them, as John Perkins wrote about in Confessions of an Economic Hitman, uh, which I still think is one of the go-to books for understanding how things really work in international affairs. Well, more 9-11 uh, wars news. Colin Powell uh, is another of the uh, the really not good guys who's being portrayed as a good guy in the media. The media is beating the drums for what a, what a wonderful guy Colin Powell was. But here's a man bites dog story, sort of like your Washington Post story telling the truth about the uh, natural immunity. Here's another man bites dog case of the media actually telling the truth for once, uh, published by the Associated Press, uh, pointing out that Iraqis uh, are aghast at, at Colin Powell's role in lying uh, the world into this war that's totally destroyed their country. Uh, Mariam, the 51-year-old Iraqi, says he lied, he lied, he lied. Uh, they quote uh, Montahara Zaidi, the guy who threw the shoe at Bush and unfortunately missed. Uh, he, he lied, and we're the, you know, we're, we're, uh, I'm sure the court of God will be waiting for him. So, yeah, I, I think Colin Paul will, uh, you know, if we're going to get into theology, Barry, which I know you don't, uh, he'll probably end up uh, in a very uh, hot place with his, uh, his friends like Henry Kissinger. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, yeah, I guess Henry isn't there yet, unfortunately. This is an Associated Press article. Am I yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Isn't that amazing? Right. Well, so you see the little AP there? Right, because, I mean, sometimes you read this, you say, okay, that's cherry-picked. But, no, this is Associated Press. Yeah, so, yeah. I'm, Mainstream I'm, media tells the truth once in a while. Well, I'm a little surprised the Iraqis are, are terribly conscious of Powell in particular. But but on the other hand, yeah, this was a turning point. This was an absolute turning point, his testimony in the U.N. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I mean, he's a war criminal. That's all. He was a war criminal his entire life. That's that's how he, that's how he moved up the echelon. Mm-hmm. And, and remember, Iraq, it's, it's different from Afghanistan, right? You know, in Afghanistan, 
there was a famous poll that showed that virtually nobody in Afghanistan had even heard of 9-11. You know, the response to 9-11, well, wow. what was that? Yeah, uh, but in, in Iraq, uh, Iraq was one of the most uh, educated uh, societies on earth uh, under Saddam Hussein. Whatever you say about that brutal butcher and torturer, he organized his society uh, fairly efficiently and did prioritize education and technological development. And so Iraqis are pretty aware of what's going on in the world. So I think this article actually reflects reality in terms of people actually noticing Colin Powell's death, knowing about his role in destroying their country and speaking out about it. Right. That makes sense. Okay. Well, last 9-11 wars piece, uh, the structural engineering wars. This is an AE 9-11 truth uh, bulletin in which uh, retired Structural engineer Fred Shagesby uh, is taking Lee Teschler to task. Lee Teschler is the executive editor of Design World. Teschler has done a couple of anti-9-11 truth hit pieces, including this recent very brief and superficial one that only cites one dubious source. Uh, Teschler, the bad guy here, uh, he, he says, oh, look, there are only 3,500 architects and engineers, you know, signing this AE 911 truth letter. Uh, and in fact, there are like a hundred, hundred thousand plus practicing. So this is a very small minority of the architects and engineers. Well, wait a minute. 3,500 professional architects and engineers are risking their reputations, uh, to say something this controversial. Come on. This is uh, ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, come yeah. on. And, and this letter, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure if I would spend time on this letter. I mean, it's, it's very polite, as you put it. Too um, polite. It's, it's a, yeah. I mean, it's a little tepid for my taste. I yeah. mean, come on. I mean, look, the collapse of the towers is not debatable any longer. It's not debatable. All right. You could, I mean, you know, I, I know we haven't figured out what to do about it. So we continue to sort of pick it apart, but it's not debatable. Shouldn't have been debatable after you just watched the collapses. That's yeah, that's true. And that, and that is one of the things, you know, about architects and engineers is, is sometimes it, it feels like they're, they're getting into an awful lot of detail to prove something that is, is pretty obvious to anybody with eyes, especially with building seven. I mean, you know, shout out to Leroy Halsey. God bless him for doing that incredible uh, computer model, uh, proving beyond any shadow of a doubt that the government's version is completely insane and that this had to be a demolition. You know, that's, I'm glad he did it. But anybody with eyes can look at Building 7 and see that it's a demolition. Right. I and mean, when you hear the countdown from the, kind of, you know. The letter even says that. The letter invokes common sense. Well, yeah. that's really all you need. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Anyway. Okay. Okay. So, so that's the 9-11 wars news for the week. Let's move on to the war on China bio war news. And I know you and I have slightly different views on this, Barry, because I, I see the current situation is actually kind of analogous to 9-11 with COVID as a false flag by pretty much the same people that did 9-11 anthrax. And I think those people designed it. They they hit China. Maybe they were trying to hurt China's economy, or maybe they had war-gamed what would happen if it blew back and went global and decided that they liked that. But either way, I'm pretty sure that it was the same folks that did the 9-11 false flag that launched this bio-war false flag by unleashing COVID in Wuhan, um, the transit hub of all of China on Chinese New Year, when it would be expected to spread throughout China, only through a bit of a miracle uh, and an extreme reaction from the Chinese authorities, did it not? In any case, uh, so we got a war on China going, uh, and it could get uh, nastier. Kevin, this- let, me, let me find this out. Kevin, does Ron still opine or 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 think perhaps that the military games 
were the point at which we introduced COVID to China. You're, you're speaking of Ron Unz, who has done the most extensive yes. writing yeah. uh, on this. That's topic. part of his theory. Uh, yes, I, I think it's, it's, uh, it, I don't I think, think it, it's definite, but it's, it's a, uh, it, it's a, a, po- a strong possibility. Well, I don't know. I mean, it seems to me what's becoming rather accepted. Robert F. Kennedy actually put it in his speech that he gave, uh, in New York last week, um, is that, uh, China came down with COVID in September. Uh, there's all kinds of evidence to that effect. They're, they're looking at satellite images of people going to hospital and there's various other items of data. That to the satisfaction of Robert F. Kennedy and, and a bunch of people on the opposite side of the spectrum um, established that China was struggling with this respiratory disease beginning in September, which, of course, is a month before the military games. Yeah, but I, th- I think we, we need to look more closely at, at those alleged early instances of COVID. Uh, and, and Ron Unz actually did do one good piece going over a whole lot of the alleged early incidences and showing that uh, most of them are very easy to dismiss. And there's maybe one that was, you know, still up in the air. So I don't know about, about these ones that you're talking about. And I'll have to look more closely at those. But actually, this particular slide we have up now is about the uh, Chinese hypersonic glide nuclear delivery system. And this is also, I think, AP, uh, it's mainstream Western media that's telling us that this is designed to sneak past the U.S. defenses. Isn't that nasty of those Chinese, Barry, who have a few hundred nuclear weapons to want to have the ability to sneak a couple of them past our defenses in, in case that we try to hit China with our thousands and thousands of nuclear weapons? Well, exactly. I mean, it's even more extreme when you, when you talk about the example of North Korea, right? I mean, somewhere or other. We're justified in doing all that we do and all those war games and all this procreation and everything because Korea, North Korea might attack us. And it doesn't cross our minds that they're desperately trying to just defend themselves in the face of this monster called the, the American war machine. And, and it does, and it does apply to China as well. And it, and it applies to Russia for that matter. I mean, we've got Russia surrounded. We're seven minutes from Moscow with missiles crying out loud. I mean, what is, what does that do? All that does is take us closer to Armageddon. That's all. Yeah, the hypocrisy is astounding in all these nuclear matters. We're going to get into the uh, Israeli-Iranian uh, issue later, uh, where that hypocrisy also goes way off the charts. Uh, next story, though, is, is my own story on the Washington Post uh, propaganda. I believe that Operation Mockingbird, or its current incarnation, that is the CIA mind control operation infiltrating mainstream media, has uh, made sure that the Washington Post, and I could have, the New York Times has been doing this too. They just keep churning out all of these poorly supported stories uh, about Chinese bats, Chinese bats, Chinese bats, Chinese bats, just to try to, to uh, drill it deep into everybody's mind that these scary, scary Halloween haunted house madness linked uh, rabid creatures from China where they eat them uh, are responsible for this uh, horrible pandemic. And to me, that's obviously a psyop. Understood. Understood. I would point out the Washington Post just uh, published uh, Josh Rogan's opinion column, which is all about Fauci and NIH financing gain of function at at the Wuhan Institute. Yeah, I think that came in a little late. We should have probably included that this week. Well, I mean, it kind of cuts against what you're suggesting here. I mean, no, no, it doesn't. Although I don't disagree with it. I mean, sure, certainly the mighty Wurlitzer is at work here, and and the whole origin thing has been just you know. Mm 
you know, just, uh, it's just full of disinformation. Of course it is. Right. But um, see, what, what the, what the post won't tell you is that if you were going to do a false flag bio attack on China that was designed to be blamed on China, and if it stayed in China and was contained there, you would blame China for being incompetent. Oh, their public health authorities are incompetent. Uh, blah, blah, blah. This is what the U.S. has done to numerous countries after we've attacked them with biological weapons. We've then blamed their governments for alleged incompetence for being unable to contain some disease that we claim is natural. We've done that over and over to Cuba, to several Eastern European countries. Well, I, I and, hear you, but I think your, your reasoning is getting rather tenuous at this point. Okay. And, and I mean, then if it escaped yeah. and became a global pandemic, uh, you blame China for that, which is what's going on now. So if you were going to do that, if you're going to do a blame China false flag uh, by hitting China with COVID, uh, you would the way you'd have to make sure that they had a bio lab in Wuhan that could be fingered for playing around with bad coronaviruses. So how do you do that? You pay for it. So of course the U.S. paid for it. Yeah, there's something more complicated going on than that. Something more complicated. Well, that's probably true. (laughs) Yeah, I I think so. Uh, I mean, again, again, just to just to you know reiterate what this this discussion we've been having, but not on the air. my contention is that you cannot refer to Wuhan Institute of Virology without facing the fact that these coronavirus experiments they were doing um, were financed by NIH and probably DARPA as well, um, and yeah. and, were, and were carried out by Eco Health Alliance. You can't avoid that. It's right there on the surface, and it was in the Washington Post last week. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're going to pick up the pace a little bit here because we're uh, we're a little o- over a third of the way through the show, and we're more than halfway through the time. So uh, how about this biowar story, Barry, where the DHS is going to deploy a so-called non-toxic gas. Uh, they're going to attack New York at 120 locations across the city. In the 1950s, so-called non-toxic uh, attack simulations killed people. And uh, San Francisco, there, there was a guy who sued over it. Yep. So, But now the stuff they're spraying on everybody in New York is even more non-toxic than that, or so we're told. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> you think that's a good idea to to have a, a biowar study in New York simulating the aerosol release of a biological agent in a densely populated urban environment? The only bioattack in our history was generated by our own uh, our own war machine. So right? let, let's hope that's this fair. one doesn't go live. Yeah. So I, you know, this is all bogus. I mean, it's all pure bogus. Yep. The whole thing is bogus. I mean, well, yeah. I don't know. I mean, the, the issue of biological warfare is is nightmarish, and uh, I've I've been reading some books about it. <laughs> yeah, if you want to sleep well at night, maybe you shouldn't read those same books. Um, I mean, it's there's a huge industry out there that's playing around with this stuff, and we should shut the whole thing down if we have any sense at all. Which apparently, as a species, we just don't. No, we don't. And speaking of having no sense, how about the 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 war on Islam over in India? We have a kind of a global war on Islam post 9/11, and one of the worst spots right now is India where people are being ethnically cleansed uh, because they're Muslim and this is, they play into Im- immigration fears about Bangladeshi immigrants. But in fact, the uh, BJP or the ruling party under Modi has its long-term objective of killing or expelling all non-Hindus from the entire subcontinent, including what's now Bangladesh and Pakistan. So we have this, these genocidal maniacs who make Hitler look like mother Teresa running India and uh, they're just getting warmed up. Understood. I mean, it's terrible. Absolutely terrible. Yeah. Okay. Well, glad we're getting uh, we're terse, succinct, I mean, and very, very brief comments here so we can move yeah, fast. I mean, Modi is Modi's a good pal of ours. You know, we're, we're, we support yeah. Modi. We like yeah, Modi. isn't that it? Yeah, but, well, he's on our side against uh, China <laughs> and Russia and maybe Pakistan, too. So right. Pakistan's so moving he's over. He's committing into, genocide. Well, that's, you know. Yeah, well, you know, he's, 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 
he's a son of a bitch, but he's our son of a bitch, as they used to say about Somoza. And, and that's what they say. seems like the, the, the people, the leaders that the U.S. supports all over the world are the slimiest scum of the earth jerks you can imagine. And of course, they have to be to betray their own people to work with the empire. It just works that way naturally. Uh, okay, let's move on to the Trumpism news. So Trump is now launching a new social media site. It's called uh, the, the Truth Social. And it's going to stand up to the tyranny of big tech. We live in a world where the Taliban has a huge presence on Twitter, yet your favorite American president has been silenced. Well, Trump is a bombastic blowhard and an egomaniac and perhaps uh, suffers from narcissistic personality disorder. But he does have a point beneath all of that bombast, which is that having a president censored on Twitter, even an insane president, is is even more insane than the insane president is insane. (laughs) Yeah. No, no. I mean, of course. I mean, Trump, as bad as he is, um, revealed some basic truths, you know, in his kind of slapdash fashion. Um, and so, yes, I guess if he pulls this off, you know, we might find some truthful information about vaccines on it. So it's too bad we have to rely on the likes of Trump to uh, to secure that. But I expect there'll be an outlet for that if he pulls this off. You think it'll be a, a total free speech site where you can, like, criticize Israel, for example, because Trump's people have been pretty terrible on that issue? Yeah, I mean... I doubt it. I doubt it. Right. I mean, or or, yeah, or get on there and cheer for Iran like I sometimes do. Trump Trump cannot be the part a little part of the of, of the you know of the of the way to improve. He cannot even be a little part. He's right? not even a speck of the solution, huh? There you go. Well, I, I, if you want to hear an, a different opinion, viewers, uh, listen to my radio show from last night. Uh, by the way, I did have Ron Unzon talking about his latest piece on the USS Liberty, which we're going to get to. And then Rolf Lindgren, who's my local uh, big Trump fanboy, was was on. So if you want the pro-Trump side of things, you can listen to Rolf on, on the radio show. Uh, and, of course, you can find all my stuff by going to truthjihad.com. Click on the radio link for the radio show. All right. Well, here's, here's a false flag story uh, related to Trumpism. And wow. that is that uh, it turns out that January 6th might be part of Operation Cold Snap. What was Cold Snap? Well, that was when uh, there was that horrible uh, conspiracy to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Uh, what were they? They, they arrested like uh, six, uh, six people. And then it turned out that in the group there were at least 12 FBI informants. So the FBI informants mm-hmm. outnumbered the terrorists two to one. Or maybe we should say they outnumbered the pathetic duped two to one. And BuzzFeed tells us that the FBI actually had a hand in nearly every aspect of the alleged plot, starting with its inception. So this proves once again, Barry, that there's only one significant terrorist group in the United States, and that is the FBI. Right. Of course, it it reads just like the 1993 uh, bombing at the World Trade Center, um, where the FBI is all over it, conceives of it, enables it, all that. Um, You know, very much reminiscent of that. Uh, but yes, I mean, in order to sort of make, make the war on terror seem rational whatsoever, they've got to come up with these terror attacks. Now, the specific purpose of, of, uh, kidnapping, trying to kidnap that governor or, or and arguably during January 6th, I guess, is that it's a vehicle for further demonizing Trump. Yeah. And, and well, the right maybe they, yeah. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I, I think so. You know, they're obviously looking for terrorists to, to use to increase their power and grab more money and take away our rights. And so you might as well turn the Trump voters into terrorists. If you, the Muslims are starting to get boring, you know, <laughs> uh, 600 cases of the FBI 
uh, tricking retarded teenagers into saying something stupid when they're being taped and then getting uh, sent to prison for life for terrorism. Uh, that, that's, that's, that's been done. It's getting old. So now let's demonize the, uh, the Trump demographic. Speaking of the Trump demographic, how about our next story? Walmart versus whiteness. You know, those people working at Walmart for 12 bucks an hour uh, are apparently a bunch of supremacist, uh, white, privileged, uh, internalized racial superiority people. And so they're going to be browbeaten about how privileged they are uh, in mandatory training uh, run by people who are making huge piles of money off the mandatory training. So, you know, sometimes, Barry, actually, you know, I'm not a big fan of the, you know, the racialist contingent of the alt-right and the white white identity movement and stuff. But sometimes those people actually have a point about how far this is. You know, it's gone way too far in this direction. Walmart em- employees being privileged? Come on. Yeah, I, I guess so. I mean, you know, I, I thought the way they defined critical race theory um, was eye-opening for me because I haven't looked at it before. And I'm, I'm rather drawn to the critical race theory, to tell you the truth. And and I, yeah, I mean, if I was... Yeah, well, that, that's, that's a fresh point of view for False Flag Weekly News because most most of our guest hosts uh, are not. No, I mean, if I, if I were black, uh, I would generally support critical race theory uh, for obvious reasons, I mean, for obvious reasons. And, and I, I've actually argued with people about this too. You know, they've said, "Oh my God, critical race theory being taught in schools." And I've said, "Well, yeah, of course it should be taught in schools, along with all the other approaches, right? It shouldn't be oh, the only okay. approach, and they shouldn't browbeat and brainwash people, but it should be out there." And there is some good work that's associated with it. Gerald Horn, who's a, a communist uh, professor at U Texas Austin, has done great work. You know, and and his analysis of the racial dynamics of the Haiti slave uprising and the way the American Revolution related to that—it's great stuff. So <laughs> I wouldn't throw it all out either. So I actually kind of tend to agree with you. And so now our, if we have any angry uh, viewers who disagree with us, I'm sure I'll hear from them. But let's move on to the, the Israel-centric news. Uh, <laughs> Congress has passed over 70 pieces of Israel-centric legislation just so far in 2021, uh, according to If Americans Knew. Uh, so we're handing Israel $10 million a day in military aid and another $10 million a day uh, on things that benefit Israel, such as handing money to the regional uh, corrupt rulers who have kowtowed to Israel. So sometimes I wonder, Barry, whether we shouldn't just move the whole Congress over to Tel Aviv and be done with it. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, that's an exaggeration. <laughs> Slightly. Um, yeah, yeah. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, I mean, this is, you know, this is an eye-opening article. It's not just the three, the three billion in military aid. Three and a half billion. Um, it's, it's all this other stuff that we're constantly doing. I mean, you know, going after the BDS movement, that, that became rather public, but the rest of this stuff is kind of, you know, undercover. Uh, I, I just happen to have a congressman. His name is Trone. Um, and, um, Trone says he's not Jewish, but, but protecting Israel is, you know, top priority. Um, it's interesting that when I've gone to visit him, uh, visit one of his aides at his office, um, I, I noticed that on the door jam is a mezuzah, <laughs> which is uh, interesting. <laughs> wait, wait, a mezuzah? Is, yeah, is they, explain mezuzah to our viewers is, what that is. Well, mezuzah, it, it, it's, it's, it contains uh, the first five books of the Torah. Okay, first five, the first five books of the Old Testament, which is the Torah, right? It contains that. It's supposed to contain that. And there's a specific kind of ritual that involves... Uh, situating it in a particular direction, in a particular way on your door jam 
you know, so that the household they're in is, I guess, blessed. That's kind of cool. That, that's like uh, we Muslims sometimes, uh, in Morocco at least, put up the hand of Fatima on the door. These hands, if you've ever seen, like a looks like a, a henna tattooed hand or something on the door of a house in Morocco. That's what that is. But it's interesting. I don't know about Congress people doing this, though. Right, right. It's on the jam there. And he says he's not Jewish. Now, his wife is hmm. Jewish. And, well, he's, and he's trying too hard then. <laughs> I mean, but, and, and, you know, he's very he's very connected to AIPAC and so forth. Oh, I mean, boy. Yeah, so so since you know Israel pretty much owns our Congress, uh, how about uh, the likelihood that we're going to get a fair treatment in terms of the nuclear issue? We mentioned the insane hypocrisy of the U.S. nuclear posture vis-a-vis China and Russia and pretty much everybody else. Well, how about uh, Israel? Here's uh, an article from Sputnik. Uh, Iran asks, why should Israel be allowed to run amok with nukes with no oversight? And the answer, well, A, because we're God's chosen people, even though we don't believe in God. B, because the rules that apply to subhuman goyim cattle don't apply to us. C, because we rule the world through our control of Western banking and media. Or D, all of the above. Um, well, yeah, that's, that's probably a slight exaggeration too, Barry. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm afraid that, that has to be one of my comments. Uh, <laughs> let me make another comment about this article. I, I, it confuses me. Even an article like this, they continue to refer to the ambiguity about Israel's nukes. They continue to refer to the ambiguity. Now, I, I pulled it up because I... Yeah, I right. Some I, ambiguity, huh? <laughs> I, I'm, Well, look, I, I'm looking at an article because I pulled it up. I'm looking at an article from The Nation back in 2015. This is the title. It's official. The Pentagon finally admitted that Israel has nuclear weapons, too. That was back in 2015. I, I can read the article. I haven't done that, it. That's pretty unambiguous. No, there's, there's no two ways about it. And and let's see. There, there, was, there was something else. There was actually, there was declassified documents. Um, that also is from, from eight, 1987, uh, 1987 report documenting Israel's secret nuclear weapons program. Uh, but it's, it's strategic ambiguity. That means that you can pretend it's ambigu- ambiguous as a strategy, even if it's, you're completely full of whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh man. Okay. Yeah, well, it's not, we're, ambiguous. it's not ambiguous. Okay. We have one more, uh, Israel related story here. Uh, one of the great Israel-related outrages of history is the uh, attack on the USS Liberty in 1967. June 8th, it was. Uh, killed 34 sailors and wounded nearly 200. Uh, Israel was attempting to put the ship on the bottom, strafe lifeboats, massacre everybody, make sure there would be no survivors. And the plan was to blame it on Egypt. But guess what? It wasn't just Israel's fault. It was actually perhaps even masterminded by none other than Lyndon B. Johnson. Peter Hume's book, Operation Cyanide, by far the most important book on the USS Liberty, and there are a long list of important ones, um, has established that, I think, virtually conclusively. Ron Unz doesn't put it quite that st- strongly in his article here, but uh, I thought this was another great American prophet piece from Ron Unz, and I urge everybody to get out and read Peter Hunnam's book, uh, Operation Cyanide. I'm glad that Ron finally read it. I mean, I've been arguing about Ron uh, on this topic for, or, you know, there have been a few back and forths on this topic, and he didn't seem to know anything about this. Uh, he'd read, he didn't like Joan Mellon's book that covers some of the same territory, and it's true, it's not as good as Hunnam's book, but he finally read Operation Cyanide. He came on my radio show last night, and uh, the rest is history. Remind me of the motive. Please conceptualize the motive here. I've got to be reminded. Oh, yeah. No, the motive was was that, well, for John, from Johnson's viewpoint, Johnson was heading into the you know elections that he was probably going to lose. Vietnam had bogged down. 
And he needed a smashing victory in the Middle East. And he knew that the media uh, is heavily Jewish dominated and that the liberal Jews around the media are not nearly so liberal about uh, Israel. So and they were raising hell with him for Vietnam. And so he figured that if he had a smashing victory by joining the Israelis in their war of aggression that and uh, destroyed Soviet bases in Egypt, uh, in, as part of a, a massive U.S.-Israeli victory, that this would help him uh, win in '68. Even right before it, connect the, that, please connect that, please, to the USS Liberty. I, yeah, I yeah. Know. Well, the Liberty, USS Liberty was a false flag operation in which Johnson connived with uh, Moshe Dayan and some other Israeli leaders to try to massacre the entire uh, crew and, and sink the ship, and that was going to be blamed on Egypt. And the U.S. actually launched a nuclear attack uh, on Cairo. Uh, numerous witnesses, including people who flew the planes, knew, talked, have talked about how their planes were loaded with nuclear weapons, set to uh, bomb Cairo. They launched, they flew to Cairo, and less than 10 minutes before they were going to drop their nuclear weapons on Cairo, we don't know the precise targets, uh, they returned back. And the reason they returned back is that the Liberty crew had succeeded in uh, surviving and getting a message off telling the world that their attackers were Israelis. So suddenly the whole thing had to be called off and covered up. I see. All right. I've also I've also read somewhere that since this was a surveillance ship, that the is- Israel wanted to blind us for some reason. Yeah, that was the the, the older uh, pre-Peter Hunam analysis was why in the world would Israel take this gigantic risk of trying to murder 400 American sailors and sink their ship? What what could they possibly gain from this? And and these inadequate answers that had been offered included, well, maybe they were trying to cover up the, their massacres of thousands of Egyptian prisoners and civilians, or maybe that they were trying to blind the Americans because they wanted to steal the Golan Heights and the U.S. didn't want them to and blah, blah, blah. But okay. in fact, Hunam's analysis is vastly stronger. And th- those, I mean, those would not be sufficient motives for doing something that risky. So what the only way they would do this would be if if they were on board with top-level Americans, and that's obviously what happened. I, I hear you. I, I think it's this article that mentioned, refers to Philip Nelson. I don't know if you know that name. Uh, I have Philip Nelson's yeah. book, which I'm satisfied establishes that LBJ is in on the JFK assassination. I think it's yeah. And, and part, right. And, and the Israelis were also in on the JFK uh, assassination with Johnson because Johnson was their man. And the reason they put Johnson in the White House was because J- JFK was dedicated to shutting down Israel's nuclear program. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, Johnson was was Israel's man. And so and they needed a to keep their nuclear program going and B, they needed that 1967 war, which had been planned for more than a decade. And uh, Ben Gurion, you know, knew they needed Lebensraum. They needed strategic depth. They had to steal that territory, and Johnson was their man to let them do it. So that's the historical context, and uh, and that's probably more than we should have said because we only have ten minutes left and ten stories. So we're going to have to go fast. Let's check out our Jewish identity stories, vaguely related to our Israel stories. Uh, Jewish college students uh, are slightly more likely to think to be opposed to free speech than non-Jewish college students. Um, next why story. is that, Barry? <laughs> I say next story. No, no, I'm not, I'm not taken by this. This does I mean, some of these polls are just, I mean, pointless. they're pointless and they're empty and they're, and they're suspect. And so I, this doesn't interest me. So Okay. So we'll move to the next story, which I thought was kind of amusing. Uh, an expl- a sleeper cell of evangelical Christians posing as Orthodox rabbis has been exposed. It turns out that Michael and Caleb Isaacson, who used to be called Dawson, uh, are actually Lutherans, which means that they actually eat lutefisk instead of gefilte fish. 
In fact, <laughs> this guy was caught eating lutefisk instead of blocks on his bagel. And oh, he no. should be expelled not only from his synagogue, oh, but he should oh, be Lord. executed for crimes against cuisine and fined millions of dollars for torts against taste buds. So that's my comment on that infiltration of the Orthodox rabbi scene. <laughs> but it's kind of a humorous article, you know, unintentionally buried, don't you think? I mean, the whole, it's like a Woody Allen movie, which is why we have Woody here uh, <laughs> saying, oi vey. I love that. Yeah. No, no, what is the sect, what is that Christian sect that uh, considers itself Jewish as well? Is no, it, it's Seventh-day Adventist, maybe? No, well, maybe no, 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 it's one that's very, very oriented. In fact, it's populated by a lot of Jews. Um, and so they're, they're kind of born again Christians, but they embrace Judaism at well, the same Jews time. They're Jews for Jesus, of course. No, 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 there's something else. Okay, I can't think of it. But anyway, yeah, it's, it's hard to keep track of all these things. I'm, I'm glad we only have a couple of so-called sects in Islam uh, to keep track of because these Christians, man, and, 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 and the Jews too. I mean, it's, it's, sometimes I can't keep my, uh, Naturae Carta for, it's clear from, you know, these other groups. They're all, uh, they're all very Lubavitchers and things like that. Um, but we don't have time to sort all that out. So let's move on to the propaganda stories. Uh, Professor David Miller uh, was fired by the University of Bristol on October 1st. Uh, the Israeli lobby didn't like him because he was uh, being kind of truthful the way we are here about those issues. Hmm. And here's a story from Piers Robinson uh, on that. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's going on. I mean, it's constant. It's absolutely constant. You know, it's a full court press on any criticism of uh, of Israel. Yeah, that, that's the number one issue to get chased out of universities for. I, I was chased out for 9-11, and for a while there, that was the number two issue. But now we're back to, uh, say, speak out of school about Israel, and that's going to get you chased out of the university, or at least they're going to make your life miserable. Um, and so that the propaganda analysis here uh, from people like David Miller and Piers Robinson is pretty good. Uh, indeed, uh, I think Robinson resigned from his university, and he's now got a sort of institute for studying propaganda, which is what we're doing here at False Flag Weekly News. And speaking of propaganda, yes. this next uh, analysis of propaganda from uh, Daniel Pinchbeck is really good. I'm going to have Daniel on my radio show next week. Now, Daniel Tinch Pinchbeck is, is a really good writer who has uh, focused on the neo-psychedelic scene and uh, in this article, he points out, he says, as somebody who used to work in the mainstream media, writing for the New York Times, Rolling Stone, Esquire, and so on, published two books at Random House and Penguin, I gained some direct experience at how ideological hegemony is constructed and maintained. Mm -hmm. At the New York Times, for example, the editors rigorously police thought, attitude, and sentiment, adjusting language on an extreme micro scale to reflect institutional bias. As an editor or journalist for mainstream publications, you learn to shape your work so it fits within the narrow ideological confines of the institution. Eventually, this conformity becomes unconscious, meaning that you are now a professional. Now, that, that's one of the best descriptions of how it works in the media that I've heard, and I can't wait to talk to Daniel Pinchbeck on my show. Yeah, I'm not sure how unconscious it is. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, not sure <laughs> yeah. about that. I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure how unconscious it is. Yeah, so different in different cases, probably. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, great, great article from uh, Daniel Pinchbeck. I really uh, find his work very stimulating. And I, I, if you want to subscribe to somebody on Substack, uh, he's up there. And another great guy to read is Michael Hudson. Let's move on to the uh, neoliberal empire news. Here's his book review of uh, a uh, rentier capitalism and its discontents by Sangara and Sate Baldieva. Uh, Michael Hudson is one of our great uh, analysts and exposers of debt slavery. Bottom line is that the money supply needs to be created through the productive and the needy, not through the unproductive speculative billionaires, the way we do it here. Um, and 
uh, one of the reasons China is, is doing so well is that they do create their money supply partly through the productive and the needy. And that's what we need to do here. And Michael Hudson is in the forefront of people pointing that out. Mm-hmm. And of course, this is about the rape of, of Soviet Union. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, after the Soviet Union fell, they just, the speculators went over there like vultures and, and picked apart the carcass. Uh, that's right. That's yeah. right. That's all. Yep. Neo-colonial, you know, nonsense. And speaking of neo-colonial nonsense, uh, our next story, uh, this, this is, uh, from, uh, Caitlin Johnstone, who's another real good internet writer at Substack, uh, is, uh, pointing out that Alex Saab, who was a Venezuelan diplomat, uh, he flew from Caracas to Iran to try to procure food and gasoline for the Venezuelan Food Assistance Program, ended up being kidnapped and uh, is now going to be a political prisoner in the United States. This is disgusting. Uh, you know, try, trying to feed your people um, and getting kidnapped for it. Uh, there's, we should be protesting this outside his prison or wherever he is now. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, start starving the people of Venezuela, and then if they they try to work with Iran to import some food, uh, imprisoning the guys who do it. I mean, this is insane. I mean, our but, treatment of our treatment of Venezuela. I mean, you talk about barbaric. I mean, yeah. without any without any justification at all, except you know, neo-colonial empire building. I mean, and speaking of a neo-colonial oh. empire and its crimes, one of the biggest crimes and one of the least known is the torture murder of a million, some say up to three million Indonesians in 1965 and 1966 that was organized by the CIA. Obama's uh, stepfather was in on that one. Yes, and that's our next story. So okay. as, as the CIA uh, organized these uh, brutal thugs in the Indonesian military to go uh, from neighborhood to neighborhood, village to village, uh, torturing people, getting them to name names of, of fellow uh, leftists and so-called communists, in many cases they were just the intellectuals, and then grabbing them and torturing them and getting names that they named and then killing them. And before this was over, there were at least a million people dead. Uh, and Obama's mom was part of this. And the next story, the next slide uh, from Covert Action Magazine, Jeremy Kuzmarov uh, has this uh, multi-episode piece on Obama's CIA family. Obama's mother was uh, one of the CIA anthropologists who were employed as undercover agents to gather information on the villagers' political affiliations, meaning she she was the one going around in these villages deciding who was going to be tortured to death. That's what Obama's mother did in Indonesia. That's what, while he was growing up, um, no wonder he got to be president. Yeah, I mean, another thing I I noticed in this article was um, the description of the relationship between Obama and John Brennan. I mean, you talk about a criminal. Uh, I mean, what a record he has. And, um, and they were very close and Obama, you know, Obama so much respected him and, and went along with his, uh, recommendations and so forth. I mean, it's just another, I, it's eye opening. It's, it's all eye opening because it, it yeah, does establish, it, it does establish who Obama was and where he was coming from. And you know, Obama and Colin Powell both get so, uh, treated with kid gloves by the mainstream media, but you know, they're both a disgrace to, uh, black people. And, you know, I, I, I respect uh, the African-Americans who are forthright about this kind of thing. And uh, it's, well, you, know, uh, you, know what Harry, you know, Harry Belafonte uh, described Colin Powell. I, I hesitate to quote him, but I, I will if you'd like. Uh, go ahead. This he, is, referred, uh, he referred to Colin Powell as the house nigger. Yeah. I take, and of course, that's citing from uh, Malcolm that's X. Harry Belafonte. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but Mal- Malcolm X famously made that distinction, and uh, and you can get thrown off Facebook for t- talking about that or, or using wow. that expression. That's I think my I wife did. actually was in Facebook jail for saying something like that. Anyway, <laughs> moving on to Econ Apocalypse news. 
uh, everything shortage coming up. It's going to be a dark winter. Wait a minute. Dark winter? That was the uh, anthrax drill. That's the drill they ran in 2001, uh, a few months before they actually made it go live with their anthrax attack. And now we're going to see a real dark winter. Uh, container costs are up from 2500 to 25000 uh, An epidemic of organized shoplifting is a $45 billion industry in the United States. Uh, Amazon is where the goods stolen by day are detailed by night. And uh, the solution to this collapsing economy and collapsing supply chain is mass vaccination. Of course, it's the solution to everything. There you go. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad we're coming back to that because it's, it's, it's actually central to understanding what's going on right now. I mean, it's relentless. I mean, it really is relentless. We're, we're basically just being subjected to a nonstop marketing campaign for vaccines that are unsafe and don't work. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I thought this was a, a wonderful article. One of the many reasons that you know RT is is still okay, even though they stopped uh, featuring 9/11 truth people like us uh, after Michael Lesson, their founder, was murdered in a Washington D.C. hotel room. That was the last that marked the end of of 9/11 truth on RT. But they still publish good stuff like this. Um, and speaking of econ apocalypse, how about the Great Resignation? Everybody's leaving their jobs. But folks, uh, don't let me quit my job at False Flag Weekly News. There you go. Keep feeding Muse the Cat by way <laughs> of our fundraiser. And our fundraiser came up short this week. It was like $125. We need 200 so Muse can have really good cat food. Uh, and I don't want to be part of this great resignation. I like my job here, Barry. Uh, doing a great job, Kevin. Doing a great job. Hey, thanks. You too. So it's, um, anyway, the great resignation, uh, meaning people quitting their crappy jobs, uh, is not such a bad thing in the West. However, in the poorer countries, it's a disaster where people lose at real employment and they end up in the informal sector, ba- barely scraping by, if that. Uh, so the, the world has been horrifically affected by the consequences, not so much of the pandemic itself, but of the lockdown and all these privileged pro-lockdown types here in the West don't seem to care very much about the poor people in other parts of the world who are starving because of the reaction to this pandemic. Yep. Yep. Okay. And (laughs) that's my signal to go fast. Oh, it's 11 o'clock. We're supposed to be done by now. So we only have two more stories. The next one is a solution. Universal basic rent. Wait a minute. Will the government can they really pay everybody's rent? Well, not just everybody. The story, the story says to replace section, it's urging us to replace section eight housing funding vouchers, uh, which only a quarter of the eligible people are able to get. And even they rarely get an apartment because most landlords don't want section eight vouchers. So why not just hand people cash? Well, I don't know. They can't, I don't think you better hand out everybody cash or, you know, the great resignation will become universal. And uh, and who will manufacture the cat food for Muse? Good question, Kevin. Good question. So yeah. what do you think, Barry? Are, are you on the side of the kind of the, the liberal wing of the Democratic Party that's in favor of more universal basic, basic income and universal basic rent and such? Or on the side of the more uh, the more conservative libertarian and Republican types who say the problem is that nobody wants to work anymore. We need to stop removing incentives to hard work and we need to get people back to work. Yeah, well, that, that whole line is garbage. I, you know, it's, it's garbage. But the first, the first part, I mean, look, all I want to say is, um, this society is dysfunctional and is going to collapse. I, I, I you know, the future is, is more fragile than more fragile. Um, so, so there's that. But, but, um, I got to quickly, what was I going to say here? Um, I'm sorry. 
Okay, well, well, we can leave it there because we are a little bit over time. So, so let's go to the, the most important story of the week, which is the Cincinnati Zoo is vaccinating 80 of its animals uh, against coronavirus, of course. And in response, the lions are roaring in anguish. The seals have been holding their breaths underwater for over a month, afraid to come up and get jabbed. And the uh, monkeys have been throwing feces, often with remarkable aim, at the zookeeper's faces. And finally, the polar bears and the crocodiles have teamed up to organize a revolt. They're planning to eat all the zookeepers. And then when they get hungry again, they're going to head for the Pfizer and Moderna headquarters and feast on some overpaid executives. This is what you, call, this is what you call vaccine hysteria. That's, there that's you go. Vaccine hysteria. Vaccine hysteria. Vaccinate everybody, even the zoo animals. And uh, I hope that zoo revolt works, just like I'm cheering for Kat McGuire organizing her, uh, her protests in New York and uh, all of the folks everywhere around the world who are pushing back against unjust authority even the zoo animals, and uh, find out how that zoo revolt comes out. Tune in next week here at False Flag Weekly News. Uh, thank you so much, Barry Kissin. It's been fun doing the show with you. Uh, keep up the great work. Same to you, Kevin. Okay, and thanks to our viewers and supporters. God bless, and see you all next week.